was Second uh, Peter chapter one verse three, and I'm just going to quickly cover that, and then we're going to move on. But he says, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue, whereby are giving whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I said this before, but if you just thought this is just sort of a blue-collar, ignorant, uneducated fisherman that's writing this. There's a lot of deep things in here that the Holy Spirit revealed to him. Uh, it's just filled with doctrine. It's filled with deep things. And that's what the Lord can do. He uses the foolish things to confound the wise. But back in verse 3, we talked about this. This is a, one of those Scriptures we ought to highlight in our Bible in verse 3 because it tells us He's writing to believers. You wouldn't, you wouldn't take verse 3 or any of this really and speak it to a lost person and say this is for you. It's for you once you give your life to Christ. So let me tell you how to come to Christ. All right? But in verse 3, according as His divine power, divine has to do with the divinity. It has to do with deity. And so it's speaking of the Lord. His divine power, that's the dunamis power of the Lord, has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And so he hasn't, we, this is what we talked about. He hasn't shortchanged us. He, haven't, he hasn't given us some things that we need and say, well, go figure the rest of it out. Yes, we're growing in the Lord. Yes, we're maturing in the Lord from the day we get saved to the day we're raptured. There's no doubt. That's why we're here. That's what we're talking about. But at the same time, he's given us all these things. It's not like he's withheld this from us. And I just want to read this. You don't have to, to turn there, but 1 Corinthians 2.12, Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God. That's the Holy Spirit. That we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. By the Holy Spirit, He wants us to know the things that are freely given to us of God. Again, 1 Corinthians is written to believers. This epistle is written to believers. All of these epistles are written to believers. But he says, how do we have uh, this all things that God's given unto us by His power? It says, through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. That knowledge, and we said this is one of the themes of, of 2 Peter. That little word, in one form or another, knowledge, knowing, is used I think 16 times in three chapters. He's, it's important. He's talking about knowing the Lord. He's talking about epinosis, which is that most intimate, full revelation knowledge, that full understanding, not knowing about something, not being familiar with something, but that full revelation knowledge that Jesus used at the Last Supper when He said, this is life eternal, that they may know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. This is how these things are given to us by the power of God through our knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? And so, they're exceeding great and precious promises, it says in verse 4. I'm going to read that again. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And so, uh, it's by our knowledge of the Lord. The two things happen. We see that... that uh, there's great and precious promises that are given to us. I want to read this that I, that I was reading when I was studying. It says it's estimated that there are at least 30,000 promises in the Bible. 
Okay? 30,000 promises in the Bible. John Bunyan once said, the pathway of life is strewn so thickly with the promises of God that it is impossible to take one step without treading upon one of them. I mean, there are just promises of God everywhere. If we said right now, you know, oh, um, they're kicking us out of this building and uh, by tomorrow we got to be out. Somebody would, would speak another promise. You know what I'm saying? To that situation, to that circumstance. Uh, and it, that's just, the, the Christian life is filled with that. The Word of God is filled with that. And we rob ourselves if we're not uh, actively and consistently in the Word of God. If there are 30,000 promises, and I have not counted them, uh, but it says that, that they're exceeding great and precious promises. And no good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. And that exceeding great and precious promise of God. The Bible is, uh, as Bunyan said, uh, strewn with them so that we can't take a step without stepping on one of God's promises. So it's a wonderful thing. But what, what He's given us is these exceeding great promises that by these... He says that we might be partakers of the divine nature. Again, that is not like, uh, like any other religion where we are actually become partakers of the God that we're worshiping. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And I've thought about that before. Um, you know, if somebody, and I've even given this example, if, if somebody's out there in the parking lot on a beautiful day, let's say a Sunday or whatever, Saturday, and they're barbecue and some steaks and ribs and all that stuff out there. We can see them cooking it. And if the wind blows the right way, we can smell it. But, you know, to taste it, you have to really be there. You have to be tasting it. You know what I mean? You have to, to take it and eat it. And that's what the Bible says. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And uh, we are now partakers at just being born again. Nothing we tried to do other than saying yes to Jesus by faith. We are partakers of His divine nature. That is a promise that He's given us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Our body is His temple. And here He he says it again, that by these we are partakers of His divine nature. Another religion, you know, maybe they're worshiping an idol or statue or something like this. In the Bible, they worship Dagon or the Philistines would or or, uh, the the goddess of the uh, Ephesians, you know, Diana. They weren't partakers of her nature. That's a false God to start with. But this is an exceeding great and precious promise that we have. We're always going to be people. We'll never become God. But we're becoming more like Christ and He lives in us and He's making us like His dear Son. That's what the Bible says. That uh, He's working in us effectually by His power to conform us to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. But So then He goes on to say, that having escaped by these same promises, one, we're, we're a partaker of His divine nature, and having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And uh, Matthew Henry said, the dominion sin has in men of the world. So that would be a lost man. Or I would say it's any man. The dominion that sin does have is through, is through lust. Their, their desires are to it. In other words, men's the only dominion or authority that sin has in our life is, is that we are bent towards it. We're inclined to it. And Jesus set us free from that. It had full dominion in our lives before we were born again. It says their desires are to it and therefore it rules over them. Talking about men in the world. The dominion sin has over us is in accordance to the delight 
that we have in it. So it's, it's going to drive us to the Lord in prayer. If you continue or I continue to struggle with sin, maybe a specific sin or just sins in general, and we're really disappointed in ourselves because we know we're saved, and, and why do I keep doing this, right? Um, it's going to drive us to the Lord in prayer that our heart would be changed. We've already been born again, and He set us free from the power of sin. That is a reality, but we still have this flesh, and it can be bent towards, it simply delights in it. And to the degree we delight in a particular sin, we're going to do it, whether it's pride, showing off, you know, uh, worry, whatever it may be, we delight in it. And, and we need God to change our heart. Lord, I know You've delivered me from the power of sin, but, uh, and You've given me that authority, but I have a desire for this. And I know it's not of God. That's where you just have to be honest with the Lord. I know it's not of the Lord. My spiritual man doesn't want it, but I still, me, as a human, I still long for it, and I pray, God, that You would change me. Change my heart to where it doesn't appeal to me anymore. Change my heart where I don't delight in it. Where I delight instead in the things of God. And so, this, this corruption is in the world, and it's through lust. It's through, uh, you know, a lot of times we think of lust as just being one particular thing, but it's anything. It's whatever appeals to our eyes. It's ever what we lust after. The, the Hebrews in the desert got sick of the manna and they complained and they lusted after flesh. We want real meat to eat. So they lusted after it. They grumbled and complained and God gave them quail until they were eating so much of the meat. It says while it was yet in their mouths, God sent a plague to them to judge them. I mean, it was just coming out their nostrils, the Bible said. They were just gorging themselves on it. And so anything that, that would appeal to us that's ungodly desire or I would say filling, fulfilling a godly desire for our natural desire, let's put it that way, in an ungodly or unlawful way. could be lust and sin. But, but it's through our knowledge of the Lord that we have escaped these things, the Bible says. Now I want us to look at this because we're going we're gonna to move on. It, it, there's, a like, a little, there's a progression here. okay? A progression coming in verse 5. And it says, besides... This, giving all diligence. Diligence means uh, eagerness or speed or earnestness. And I think a lot of times in our Christian life, we don't give a lot of earnestness or eagerness to whatever we're after. We sit back like we're on a, uh, the lazy river and we float through our Christian life. And I don't see that anywhere. I don't see that Old Testament or New Testament. I don't see that with the people of God. I don't see that as our calling. The Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You're already saved. Now work it out with fear and trembling. That we're to follow after uh, peace with all men and, and holiness without which no man will see the Lord. That follow means to, to earnestly pursue after. And here's another picture. Besides these, beside this, giving all diligence... Uh, add to your faith virtue and a virtue knowledge and so forth. And we're going to talk about these things because there is this that the Lord has laid out before the believer. And I, we say it all the time. It's not just salvation and then heaven. There's salvation and there's this life, however long it is on this earth. There's a wonderful life coming. Amen? In heaven for every believer, the newest saint that just got saved, the compromising saint, who's struggling and maybe not pursuing after God like they should, but they're born again. 
for the most eager, uh, earnest saint, the mature believer. There's a better life coming for all of us, okay? But between here and there, God has a very definite purpose and plan. It's very clearly laid out in Scripture. In fact, Sunday morning, we're going to really be getting into that and talking about that more in the message that God gave me. But there's, there's an adding, okay? He's talking about grace and peace uh, multiplied unto you back in verse 2. Here He's talking about adding to your faith. And so it, it, there's this moving on. There's this progression. If we looked around at, at each other right now in this room, and a year from now or five years from now, we looked at each other again, and we were all exactly where we were now, spiritually speaking, that would be sad. It really would be. It would be disappointing. God hasn't let us down. It's not that we don't, we're not saved. It's not that we don't love Jesus. But it would be sad if a year from now or however what time you would have picked, we were exactly the same. No further along in my knowledge of God, my service to God, my love for my brothers. My, you know what I mean? No further along in any area of my Christian walk. When that is not God's will and it's not His plan. And that's why He's saying here, given all diligence, uh, besides this, given all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity or love. So this is what we're going to talk about tonight. That's probably how far we'll get. And we'll talk about these verses, but there is a development, okay? There's a development where it, it involves us. In other words, it involves our, our input. It involves some determination on our part. And I know instantly that a lot of red flags go up in certain circles and people say, you're talking about works. You're talking about works. And I don't believe in, in, in Christian doing works. But they haven't read their Bible. We haven't read our Bible if we think that Christians aren't to work. Where it's not, and I'll say it a thousand times, it's not that we're working in order to be saved. We're saved now. So what does a saved person do? We're, we're going we're gonna to do just what the Bible says. And by the Holy Spirit's help. Because that's what the Bible says as well. And He says, add to your faith virtue. And so there's this uh, diligence in cultivating a relationship with God. Right? We're cultivating it. Anybody in here that's got a wonderful marriage, it's wonderful because the Lord blessed it, number one. But number two, it's wonderful because you put some type of effort into it. If you neglected your marriage year upon year after year, it's going to suffer. But it could be rekindled. It could be, it could be everything that it should be. You know what I mean? It's not impossible. Bring it to the Lord. And, and start putting some effort in it. Start putting some prayer into it. Start putting some work into it. It's not miserable work. It's not uh, that we despise it. But it does take some effort. I don't just plop down in front of the TV for the next five years and say, bless my marriage. It, you know, it's going to have to be some, some uh, effort. Well, same thing in our walk with the Lord. And so uh, it takes our involvement. Y'all understand that. It takes our involvement in our walk with God. And a lot of people run from Scriptures like that, and we shouldn't. There has to be determination. And I'm going to use this word. I'm not afraid to use it. The Bible uses it. Discipline. 
Amen. Have you ever heard that word before? Okay, parents, do you use that word with your children? Or at least, you know, maybe not that word, they might not understand it, but you discipline your children. Doesn't mean we do it cruelly. It doesn't mean we do it in an ungodly fashion. It means we do it because we love them. And there's benefits to it and uh, to discipline. And so in the development of our life in Christ, there has to be determination on our part and discipline. And if you wonder why two believers that might have got saved at the same Billy Graham crusade 25 years ago, one has outpaced the other greatly, it's because of that. One has seen what the Scriptures say. The Holy Spirit has made that real to them. They pick up the Bible and they read it. It's not that they're perfect. And they say, this is what God has called me to now. So I'm going to be actively and eagerly involved in what God has called me to. I'm going to make it a priority. It won't be just when I go on a retreat or something like that. This is my daily meat and my food and my walk with the Lord. And you'll find that person is going to far outpace the other one. If they're both saved, they're both going to heaven. But definitely one would outpace the other and their life would be more honoring to God. They would have a sweeter, intimate fellowship with the Lord than this other believer over here as well, right? And so, again, when he says add to your faith, it's obvious that, that Peter is assuming faith to start with because you can't be saved without faith and he's talking to believers. So that's why he says add to your faith. He doesn't say to something else, add faith. He's starting with faith. All right, because we believe, and uh, the just shall live by faith. You're saved by grace through faith, and it's all through the scriptures. And so he's starting from a position of faith. Uh, it's but then there are six things that are listed here that are elements that are added to our faith or supplements to it, and it ends in love. And we'll talk about that. One author said that faith is like the little acorn that you have to have to start with. Okay, you have to start with something and faith would be where we start. And it's, it's not like we dispose of it somewhere along the way. All of these are going to be run throughout all these that are mentioned. It's not like, OK, I've passed up faith. Now, what am I? Oh, my brotherly kindness. Now I've passed that up. I don't need that anymore. Now I'm at love. It's it's this it's one acorn. OK, and it's planted in the ground. And that's faith and at, out of your faith. Add to your faith and virtue and so forth. And so it all kind of springs out of that. Now, it's also assuming that this is a living faith and not a dead faith like James talks about, where it's uh, only a, a, a mental ascent like the devils believe and tremble. You know, not that kind of faith. It's actual saving faith. There was one pastor who used to read to his son, bringing him up in the Lord. He read this passage this way. Maybe it wasn't blasphemy or anything. He just taught it to his son this way. He said, "Add to your faith, add to your faith the virtue of courage, the courage of David. Add to the courage of David the knowledge of Solomon, add, and to the knowledge of Solomon the patience of Job, and to the patience of Job the godliness of Daniel, and to the godliness of Daniel the brotherly kindness of Jonathan, and to the brotherly kindness of Jonathan the love of John." And he was teaching his son, you know, these virtues and trying to put a little picture to it. And I thought it was a good little example. But when it talks here about virtue, okay, add to your faith virtue. Virtue does mean like piety or godliness. 
okay, a godly trait or character. But it also means, and most Bible scholars believe, because godliness is one of the things that's listed later, that virtue is, is, uh, also can refer to like a, a courage or a boldness or a strength. So add to your faith some strength or some courage to stand when it's hard to stand. Have you ever found it hard to stand before? I have. And we need to add to our faith virtue. The Lord does this through our knowledge of Him by the divine power, the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But still, it's showing a progression that should be taking place in our life. To our faith should be added this virtue or this boldness. It means spiritual courage before a hostile world. The strength to stand for what is right or valor, okay, which is the characteristic of a soldier. And the Bible does say, Paul says in 2 Timothy, that we're soldiers of Christ and we're to endure hardness as a good soldier. And so that courage is coming there. There was uh, one of the martyrs that was named Kramer, Kramer, and he was ordered to sign a recantation or be burned at the stake. We've read stories like this, Fox's Book of Martyrs and Fair Sunshine and some of the other books about the martyrs. Uh, so that was his choice. Okay, Sign this paper saying you recant the faith of Jesus Christ or be burned at the stake. First, he refused to sign, but under pressure, enormous pressure, he said his right hand, his right hand signed the recantation. He signed it. Later, he realized his mistake. Okay, you can just picture him, kind of like Peter denying the Lord and then going out and weeping bitterly. That's what I picture. He realized his mistake. So he himself called the executioners and got them back and said, no, I want you to burn me at the stake. I want you to burn me at the stake. And um, he, he ordered them to start the fire. And he ordered them said, uh, to please not, not tie my hands because they would tie their hands together, I guess, behind them. He said, don't tie my hands together because I want to put that right hand in the fire first. That one that denied the Lord. And uh, it just shows uh, that's unnatural. It's supernatural. Okay? And he did die at the stake and he, he did die for his faith. And guess what? There's, there's this entrance welcomed, you know, that's opened up to him, welcoming, welcoming him like Paul, like Stephen, mm-hmm. like others that have gone before. And... Uh, but it shows, I believe that's what's being talked about with the valor or the, the virtue. is not just a godly character, but it's also a courage or a boldness is what a lot of the, um, the, the commentaries were saying. All right, and so to, to our virtue is to be added knowledge, okay? And this would be speaking of spiritual knowledge. This isn't just academics, okay? There's nothing wrong with academics. Clinton used to always say, I make no plea for ignorance. I'm not against being educated, all right? But what he's talking about here, which is far greater, far greater, is the spiritual knowledge, okay? There will be no spiritual growth without an increase in spiritual knowledge. Everybody that's born again has spiritual knowledge or we wouldn't be born again. We realize that Christ is the Son of God the Savior of the world. I'm a sinner and I need, you know, He died for my sins and rose again the third day in resurrection power. I'm going to face Him one day as judge. I'm going to give my life to Him because He loves me and wants to save me. We all have, everybody that's saved has that knowledge of the Lord. But if we're going to grow in the Lord and make spiritual progress, we have to increase in our spiritual knowledge. Our understanding of the Scriptures. Our understanding of the Godhead. 
and how God works and what pleases him and things like this. And and uh, so if we're going to grow, that has to uh, increase. How is that going to increase? It's going to increase as we uh, study the word of God and, and honestly, we obey what he tells us. It's very simple. We study the word of God. A little child can do it. Study God's word and then obey what he shows us. We'll start growing in the knowledge of the Lord. It's an experiential knowledge. You understand? If I actually, it's not. Uh, it's not Chris telling me about it. It's me walking through it. And it's it's all of us taking what we hear preached here, what you read on your own, what somebody teaches you in Sunday school, taking that and you walking it out by faith. And we experience it, and that's how we taste and see the Lord is good. You know, I always heard He was so faithful, and. I was in this incredible trial and I stepped out of one of the promises of God. And guess what I found when I stepped out? I found out that He was there to hold me just Amen. like the promise said He would. Wow, get, what is that going to encourage me to do? It's going to encourage me to tell others about Him. It's also going to tell, encourage me to take the next step and the next step. And experientially, we start growing in the Lord in our knowledge. Okay? And then let's move on. So, add into our, our virtue knowledge. And to knowledge, remember, we're adding all this to our faith. It's all coming out of our faith in the, in the living God. And to knowledge, temperance. Okay? Temperance. It has to do uh, simply with, uh, with self-control. It's a discipline. It's a discipline. And God calls His people to live a life of discipline. Christian people can, are to be, I would say, we are to be very passionate. We ought to be very loving. We ought to be over the top in, in so many areas. But we can do all that and still be disciplined. It's not an undisciplined life. It's not uh, just living off the cuff kind of thing. I, I can remember you know, people uh, even in Christian circles you know, trying to train young ministers to, to where they had the idea that, that if, if you show, just kind of show up if you're going to be speaking for a youth group or speaking in church, just show up and don't take notes and, and just whatever the Holy Spirit puts in your mouth, just kind of say it that, at that time. And somehow that that's more spiritual and that's more Spirit-led. And I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. I see study. I see exercise. You know what I mean? I see uh, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. Uh, I see it as like rolling up your sleeves and opening the scriptures and I'm flipping from Isaiah to, you know, um, the first coming of Christ. And I'm looking back and forth at all the prophecies in the scriptures and all of it's bathed in prayer. The whole thing's bathed in prayer because I'm not going to get any of it if it's not the Lord leading me by his spirit. But you understand the point that Christian life is not just off the cuff. There might be things in your life, in my life that pop up instantly and we're pressed into service. You got to preach in five minutes. You know, will God be faithful to give you if He's really called you to? Absolutely. I've experienced it before. Some of y'all might have experienced it before. Uh, but that's not, that wouldn't be the pattern. The pattern would be I'm walking with God, I'm living with God, I'm studying the Bible, I'm preparing. If I know I'm going to preach in a week, well, then I ought to start getting ready. You know what I mean? Ought to start getting ready. And the Lord will be faithful to speak to me. It'll all be bathed in prayer. And guess what? After a week, if I get up here, and, or whoever, and you stand up here and you begin to open your mouth and you feel the unction of the Holy Spirit changing it to something else, then let Him do that. 
I'm not going to assume He's going to do that. I'm going to assume He's going to honor what He gave me all week long. I have been in both positions as well where the Lord has totally changed it at that moment and, and more often than not where it's just going on with what He gave me. It's no less anointed or blessed or spiritual or anything like that. Either one. I guess I'm just mentioning that because the Christian life is to be a life of discipline. It says temperance, okay? And that really has to do with self-control, not, not losing it, so to speak, whether it's our temper or whatever it may be, or depression even, anything we just lose it. And if we do, we, we can ask God for forgiveness. Paul said this, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight not as one who beats the air. Just picture somebody. He says, I'm, I'm not running with uncertainty. I know where I'm going. Whether I'm slow or fast, wherever I'm going, I know where I'm going. And I don't fight as one who's just like, you know, swing at the pinata with the blindfold on, hoping you hit something. Or pin the tail on the donkey. Y'all remember that game? You know, and you spin them around, and the donkey's over here, and they're walking this way. You know, uh, he says, I don't, I don't run that way. I don't fight that way. He says, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. And so, again, he's, he's talking about discipline. You all understand that all this is out of faith, and you understand that all this is as a result of the working of God's Spirit and power in our lives. It's not just you going to give it a shot. And whoever's the strongest in their flesh, they're going to be successful. That's not what's being taught here. But it is saying we're not going to grow or move anywhere without discipline in our lives. So if I'm lacking it, what do I do? God help me. I'm so undisciplined. And I've shared this with you all before that uh, even after Dee and I got married and uh, she had been saved for a lot longer than I, I was. And I came around like in college and really sold out to the Lord and, and got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I did not... I prayed. But I didn't feel like I had a really full prayer life. I thought it was anemic, to be honest. And what convicted me was reading about Jesus in the garden. When He came back and they were sleeping, He says, what, could you not pray with me one hour? And I thought, you know, I'm no better than those guys. I can't pray an hour. I'm pitiful. And I, I was saved. It wasn't that I needed to go be born again. It was that I needed the Lord to teach me to pray. But isn't that how He deals with us? I don't need you to come necessarily stick your finger in my face. Uh, God showed me as I was reading the Bible and I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to set your alarm clock one hour early. Whatever time I was getting up at that point in my life, I want you to set it one hour earlier and I want you to pray. So I said, yes, Lord. I set my, my clock an hour early and I'm thinking to myself, gosh, I'm already tired how, with the amount of sleep I'm getting. This is really going to be too much. All those are just carnal excuses. And I'm thinking, now wait a minute, if God's big enough to speak the world into existence, you think He could refresh my body with one hour less sleep? Yeah, He can do that, right? And so I started to do it. And it wasn't easy. And I would pray for six minutes, you know, and then my mind's drifting and I'm falling asleep and all this. But uh, I would read my Bible and pray. But anyway, the Lord told me to keep at it. There was, you know what I mean? Just keep at it. And as I kept at it, I don't remember the time frame, how many weeks or months or whatever, but somewhere along the line, the Lord touched my prayer life. 
He taught me how to pray. He helped me to pray. And then it was like surpassing an hour and I didn't have to worry about looking at the clock anymore because he had grown me in that area. Now I'm far short of where a lot of other people are in their prayer life and maybe where some of y'all are. But the point is that uh, there's a growth in that. And there's a discipline. It's, and it did take some effort. But if God hadn't first told me what to do, I couldn't have done it. And give me a promise of light at the end of the tunnel, I couldn't have done it. And He, he actually strengthened me day by day so I didn't quit. And, and with those all working, the Lord working in me, not by my own power, He did a miracle in the midst of the discipline and obedience. He did a miracle that was beyond the discipline and the obedience. It was a work of God in my life. It was a miracle. And He helped me to pray. And He can do that for all of us. It's very exciting what the Lord can do. Amen? And, and y'all, when we don't have self-control, and I've been guilty of this before, but when we don't have self-control as a believer, it's a horrible witness. Lost people might be watching you. Your children might be watching you. Other believers are watching you. Uh, and for Christ's sake, we need to be disciplined. So if we're lacking in that self-control, we need to make it a matter of prayer. We need to go to the Lord and ask Him to help us. And I promise you, He will. No good thing will He withhold. And so to, to this temperance, it says we're to add uh, patience. And the word patience here in verse 6 actually means uh, perseverance. Okay? These all kind of overlap, don't they, a little bit? Perseverance to where we're uh, an endurance uh, even through adversity and persecution. Everybody that's ever played a sport with a, I mean, a real higher level kind of sport has had the coach push you further than what you ever wanted, okay? Or somebody in medical school or something like that has been pushed if they're going to succeed way beyond what they probably thought they could do or endure. And God gives us the strength, but we need to add to that self-control. We also need to add perseverance to keep plugging away in the face of adversity. There's a lot of difficulty. There are disappointments. There are circumstances that we don't like. There's grief, bitterness that comes just through circumstances in life. There are plans and dreams that are shattered and they didn't turn out like we thought. What's the instant temptation when that happens? We did really good here and we took these little ups and downs. But something shattered that, that we had hoped for and maybe put all of our hope in, the temptation instantly is to quit. To throw up our hands and say, I'm done. Do godly people do that? Yes, they do. And the Lord will come and strengthen as well. Okay, I think again about Elijah. After he calls down fire from heaven and the 850 prophets of Baal are killed, and he gets a death threat. I know I've shared this before. And he, and he wants to go. And he grows out in the middle of the desert. And he plops down in, in the middle of the, the wilderness and says, it's enough, Lord. Kill me. Take my life. But God didn't let him do that. God encouraged him and brought him on. But also, there's daily routine that can get old or get boring. We have to persevere. You know, Noah building the ark for 120 years. Preacher, a preacher of righteousness, the Bible says... And when he was through preaching, he had no converts. Nobody got on the ark except Noah and his family. He had to persevere, right? This was by faith. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, by faith, Noah built the ark, moved with fear. 
He kept building the ark. And so it's all coming out of faith. And it says to faith, I'm, I'm sorry, to uh, this patience or perseverance, add uh, godliness. Godliness is just what you would think of. It's a Christ-likeness. It's a God-likeness. It's not a, uh, no secret to what that means. And uh, it's, a, it's a practical holiness. It's one thing to say, I have Christ in me. But everybody looking at you saying, well, I sure don't see Him. You look worse than my heathen friends. You know, the way you act, the way you talk. So it's not only that we're holy as He is holy, but He says in all manner of conversation, there's a practical outworking of that, of Christ in me coming out. Being seen in how I give. Being seen in how I help. Being seen in how I am patient. Being seen in how I am temperate and self-controlled. You see what I'm saying? There's a godliness there where it's godlike traits and qualities. And one author says that, uh, that we ought to have the, the likeness, the family resemblance of our Father. You know, we ought to really be able to see that, that godlikeness. That's what it is. Um, Paul says that godliness is profitable for all things, having a promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So godliness is profitable in the offer right now, the here and now, the people you work with and your kids seeing you and people around you. And it has a promise and a, a, a profit for the world to come as well. And then a couple more things. It says, the bro- and adding to our godliness, brotherly kindness. And again, that's the phileo love. That's, that is a, a wonderful trait. It's a godly trait. Jesus said, by, by this will all men know that you're my disciples that you have love one for another. It's a testimony. It's a testimony. Aren't we told through the Bible to prefer one another? You can't do this without the Lord's helping us. Okay? This is not simply... Uh, this isn't something you, that you and I just work up. Because I'm going to move to this from, from brotherly kindness. It says charity. Charity. That 1 Corinthians 13, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. This is godly love... This is a agape love. So we move from the brotherly love to the God love that only comes from Him. He is the, the wellspring and the fountainhead of that. You're not going to find it anywhere else. You could try to mimic it somewhere else, but it's not really coming from the heart. God can see right through it. He knows it's not, but He can produce it in the heart and life of a believer. Again, this is supernatural. You can't grit your teeth, hold on to this pulp and say, Dad, gum and I'm going to love more. You know, uh, God has got to help us to do that. But He can. It's His divine nature. His divine nature. He doesn't have any problem loving people. I pray all the time. I say, Lord, You don't have any problem loving people. Would You help me to love them like You love them? Does He help me? He helps me. Have I arrived? No. We're adding to these things. We're growing in these things. And i got a long way to go. But I'm going to close with this thought about the love because... Of these virtues, they, these graces, if you want to say, that were added to faith, he ends here with love. And so we start with faith, we end in love. The Bible says in Galatians 5, 6, that faith worketh by love. I don't even know that I perfectly understand that totally, but faith, I guess in its most uh, complete display, how does my faith in God work? How does it really show itself in outworking coming out of my life to people, to God, to others? How does it come out of my life? It's most clearly displayed through love. Faith works by love, the Bible says.
And so, um, again, this is not a... I'm going to read a couple of sentences here because I love the way the author put this. This is not primarily a matter of the emotions, but of the will. Now we're talking about love, godly love. Not primarily a matter of emotions. It's not that our love is emotionless and we're just like robots. But it's not primarily a matter of emotions, but of the will. It is not a sentimental exhilaration to experience but a commandment to obey. In the New Testament sense, love is supernatural. An unbeliever cannot love as the Bible commands because he does not have divine life. He can't. That's why I said all of these things could try to, uh, an unbeliever could try to mimic. It might fool you or me. Might fool us for five years. But it's really not doing them any good. Okay? It's not genuine, it's not from the Lord. It takes divine life to love one's enemies and to pray for one's executioners. Love manifests itself in giving. God so loved the world, He gave. Okay, we can show our love by giving our time, our talents, our treasures, and our lives for God and for others. We can show our love by giving that way. Amen? Treasures to others, to the Lord. And in His name's sake. I'm going to close with this story. Y'all all know the story of the, uh, the man that was killed in Ecuador and all that. Jim Elliott. Okay, Jim Elliott knows they were with him. One of the other men that was killed um, was Ed McCulley. And I'll just, his father, T.E. McCulley, this is an amazing thing. This is the father of one of the men that was killed as going missionaries to Ecuador. T.E. McCulley was the father of Ed McCulley, one of the five young missionaries slain by the Aka Indians in Ecuador. One night, as we prayed, so whoever was writing this was praying with this father. As we were on our knees together, he prayed, T.E. McCulley prayed, Lord, let me live long enough to see those fellows saved who killed our boys. Can you imagine? That I might throw my arms around them and tell them I love them because they love my Christ. Can you imagine? I can't. That's supernatural. He goes, I want to throw my arms around them. I want to see them get saved. And guess what? They did get saved. Love is the full fruitage of faith. That's where it ends. All those other things are important. They need to be there. Okay? We don't skip from this to this. It's all part of that. All part of the same tree. But when you can go... Uh, and, and love a person like that, the guilty murders of your son. Well, that's what Jesus did, right? It's our sin that put him there. And I'm going to close with that thought, and I believe that would be enough to touch our hearts to see we're not where we should be. I'm not pointing a finger. I'm pointing at myself. That we're not where we could be. That there is this calling for more. And we all need to get there. It's going to progress. You know, don't be discouraged. Just turn to the Lord in prayer. He's not going to do it apart from your involvement and your discipline and your effort. You don't just kick it to the side. If God wants to do that to me, He'll do it. Now, I believe T.E. McCulley, the man we just read about, he had to walk with God for him to say that. Lord, let me live long enough to see those men saved so I can throw my arms around them and hug them. Because they love my Christ. That's a love. 
Okay, that's added to his virtue and so forth. And so, D, we're gonna we're gonna close with that thought. Y'all take some some time before you leave. I believe that's something we can all pray about. Or maybe it was a discipline. Maybe it was a, uh, self-control, temperance, something that the Lord spoke to you about through this this word tonight. And let's also be thankful that God is working in us both to will and do of His good pleasure. He doesn't just throw that out there and, like I said, say, let me see you try to do it. He's, he's actively involved in working in us. So, Father, we love You tonight, God.